All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in the world. As you know, we have a lot of different guests on the show that touch different aspects of healthcare, whether you're a hospital CEO, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a uh, health tech founder running a health insurance company or invest in healthcare startups, broad spectrum, you're passionate about health, this show's for you. I'm really enthused today to have Skip Fleshman on the show. Skip is the partner at Asset Management Ventures. Asset Management Ventures has been doing a lot of awesome things in healthcare for quite some time. A lot of their investments are starting to become fixtures in the spaces that they seek to dominate, but more importantly, the problems that they're trying to solve in their space. Most importantly, I don't want to steal any more Skip's thunder here. Uh, Skip, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Skip, um, teleport us back, transport us back to the beginning. What are the series of things that you went through in your life to, to make you the person that you are today? I just love to hear your origin story. Yeah, well, we could go on and on about that. Um, <laughs> not not shy about talking about myself, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I sort of had a few different phases in life, and I, I fancied myself as a as a soccer player in high school and, and in university, um, and always had the dream of you know hopping on the pitch at Wembley and, and scoring the the game winning goal in extra time. But mm-hmm. uh, I ended up doing something different, and I, I joined the Air Force. Uh, immediately after I, I graduated with my mechanical engineering degree and ended up becoming a, a pilot. So that was sort of phase two of my life uh, where I spent a few years as an F-16 pilot flying in the active duty and then continued on um, for another decade flying in the Air National Guard, which is a pretty good gig. It's part-time uh, and enables me to do uh, other things. And so at that point, um, I started a business that was developing software for next generation flight simulators, F-15, F-16, now F-22, F-35. So we um, grew that business uh, over the years. And um, and for me, uh, I always wanted to, to uh, do something different um, away from aviation. And I ended up going to Stanford Business School and that provided a gateway and a launching pad for me to get into venture capital. Mm. Mm. I love it, I love it. De- definitely broad spectrum. And um, you know, it seems like a consistent theme of you know, movement and, and soaring and I mean, just flying in general, I mean, it's got to be just a phenomenon to to experience and to lead. And, and so it's it's super exciting. Obviously, you know, in the, the field of, of VC, um, you know, you get to kind of do similar, right? You get to, you know, get a company off the ground, see it soar, and it's got to be like exhilarating to see a lot of your, you know, portfolio companies, um, you know, thrive and grow in their respective markets. Uh, Skip, let me ask you, so you've seen a lot in healthcare, you've done a lot, you've invested in a lot. Tell me a little bit about maybe one or two things in health today that is really capturing your fascination uh, and your attention these days. Yeah, let me just lay a little more of the foundation. I mean, your analogy is is, was great. Um, In fact, it reminded me of a quote from John Doerr who said it it costs roughly the same amount of money to train a venture capitalist as it does to train an F-16 pilot, which is about $10 million of wasted money. Um, But uh, yeah, just a little bit of framework. Our firm started in 1965, historically invested in both tech and healthcare. Our founding partner, who turned 91 yesterday, his name is Pitch Johnson. Mm. Uh, We had a cake and not 91 candles, we only had one. Um, But 
but he uh, was the first investor in Amgen and a founder of Amgen, one of the first biotech companies. He was mm -hmm. the first investor in applied biosystems in Biogenetic. So a lot of history, both in the life sciences and in tech. And when I joined, that's what we were. We were an early stage opportunistic firm that, that um, was very diversified in our approach. We would invest in software, semiconductors, but also medical devices and, and biotech therapeutics. Over the years, um, in fact, I would say fast forward to roughly, you know, it's a rewind now, but for me, it was a fast forward from 2001 when I started Inventure. We wanted to become more thematic and we started looking at certain areas. And our team composition has always included people from the healthcare profession. My, my partner, Lou, was a cardiologist by training from Harvard. He ran WashU's cardiology clinic, but then he started a therapeutics company named CB Therapeutics. So he had very deep domain expertise in healthcare. Where my partner, Rich, he has a PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford, also founded a portfolio company of Pitch Johnson. So we all had founder experience, operating experience, but very diverse backgrounds. And bringing that together, we thought we could really evaluate opportunities, catalyze opportunities, and good connections in an area that wasn't yet identified as digital health, but it's what it became to be. So we called it health tech or whatever back then. But it really was the application of technology into healthcare markets. And so while my partner, Lou, still uh, make some investments in gene therapy, immuno-oncology, novel therapeutics. Um, my focus and my partner Rich's focus has been significantly on applying tech into healthcare. And with every fund that we've had since 2008, we've increased our mind share, our dollars, our number of investments in that sector. So just to frame things, that is an area that we are, are strongly looking at. Um, I can keep going on, but I, I wanted to just kind of lay the foundation. Yeah. Uh, the way we view things. Yeah, no, thank and thank you so much. Yeah, that's a great analogy too that that John uh, you mentioned about from John. But uh, no, it's 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 really fascinating. So it's really great to kind of see you know what you guys have been doing in this space for you know quite some time. Um, some of your portfolio companies, right? So so WellDoc, um, uh, Lark. Um, HealthTap, you know, Evidation, you know, some really interesting themes and, you know, a lot of these companies are shaping up to, to kind of really like own and, and dominate the spaces they set out to, to solve problems in. Um, can you speak about any of these spaces or some, some of these spaces that really um, are, are capturing your attention? And uh, yeah. just love to hear kind of like, how, how, how are these markets shaping up? Why do these companies exist? some of the problems that, that you see in our society that, that some of these companies are going to be solving, you know? That's, it's a good question. Uh, it's a general topic, but I think for the way we look at things and, and how things have played out over the years, and we've been starting, we started investing in this sector in 2008. So mm -hmm. we've got over 10 years of experience looking at these companies. And quite frankly, the number of companies in digital health and going after these markets has increased significantly. Back then it was extremely nascent. And if you... Look at today, 2018, we had $10 billion put into digital health uh, by most estimates, which is roughly 10% of all venture dollars. So it's become a rather large and significant sector. Uh, the things that, that I think are really interesting, um, it, in going back 10 years, we have really new data sets that we'd never had before. Mm -hmm. And the first one, um, catalyzed in large part by the High Tech Act of 2009, which incentivized healthcare providers and academic medical centers to adopt um, electronic medical records, to digitize their records, take them from, from paper and doctor's shelves into the digital world, 
um, you know, we pumped tens of billions of dollars and created rather large companies like Cerner and Epic that have digitized our health records. So this is a data set that is, for all intents and purposes, less than 10 years old and not really well utilized. Um, we're just not trying to see companies take this data, which can be structured um, in all the fields that are entered into the EMR, but also unstructured. It could be images. It could be um uh, doctor's notes, uh, but they, they were just beginning to see companies take advantage of this relatively new data set. Um, so that's one. The second one would be genomic data. And uh, the cost of sequencing has dropped so significantly. In fact, in many ways, uh, and many people say this, it's dropped faster than Moore's law. And so we have rather inexpensive genomic tests and we can begin analyzing this new data set, which is really new. And then the third one I would say was driven in large part by um, the smartphone, again, Apple, I think, launched their first smartphone 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, that led to a lot of data that we could capture in the real world. And so smartphone plus the wearable phenomenon uh, has enabled us to, to grab data. Some of it, you know, not so clinical. Think steps and activity and, and, and you know, maybe even things like VO2 max and heart rate and heart rate variability. My primary care physician has no idea what to do with any of that stuff, <laughs> but they do know what to do with an ECG to a certain degree or mm -hmm. your weight or blood pressure, right? Or glucose levels. All these were, were capturing via Bluetooth to smartphone to system, right? And, you know, some of it's rather clinical. Some of it is clinical art, clinical endpoints. Some of it's not, but this is a new data set, which I'll call real world data, which you combine this with genomic data and EMR data. And now we're starting to, to, to really do some interesting things. And we can be more precise. We can engage with patients 24 seven, 365 days a year. We can nudge them, we can capture data. Um, and some of the data that they're capturing is not even intuitive, right? I mean, the whole field of digital biomarkers, which is an area that Evidation Health is, is pioneering and working a lot with pharma companies on it, is fascinating. So I do think these new data sets are enabling a lot of opportunity and layer in the technology advancements that we've had in the last 10 years. We weren't even talking about AI, machine learning, deep learning um, 10 years ago, but now we are. Everybody's talking about them. Every pitch I see has, has one of those three monitors in it. Mm -hmm. um, and so once you have these large data sets, which, you know, a, a genomic data set's humongous in the real world, you, can, you're, you have consistent, constant data. So you have to clean up the data and then um, analyze it. And that's where the techniques uh, that we have with deep learning, machine learning really start to become. So it's fascinating where we are right now. I love it. I love it. And, and you know, having that groundwork in place with the analytics, the digitization of our health data, um, cost of genomic sequencing going down, you know, a lot of this serves as just really good tip of the arrow insights and analytics on like personal health. And so where do you see us, what do you see us doing with this data next to improve the health, that ultimate I ideal state, right? And, and well, first of all, I'd love to hear your ultimate ideal state you see happening in the future for populations, for personal health. If you see us as, you know, curing uh, diseases that can make us live longer, you know, or in increasing longevity. Where is this all going? Where would you like to see this all go? And, and how do you see it coming to play in terms of taking action and execution off of this data? Um, obviously, probably so many different pieces in place on what procedures do you do? What new innovative things do you do? Does insurance pay for these things? How do you see that taking shape in the future? I, 
Yeah, I always look at、um, our investments and, and thesis. Of,、uh, I like when entrepreneurs come in and they want to solve a problem. Right?、Mm-hmm. They identify a problem. It's, it's a big enough problem for us to invest in, and they have some secret sauce, right? Some something proprietary, or they can protect with intellectual property. That's kind of difficult to do, and you know that can take many different forms. But I want to see some sort of problem statement、mm-hmm. up front, and then working backwards to solve that problem with technology、mm-hmm. and scale. That's another tenet that we have in our firm. We love to see companies that can scale rapidly. They can scale their sales rapidly. They have、mm-hmm. low cost of sales, high. Um, long-term value to a customer to the acquisition cost, so that ratio is, the, is really positive.、Um, we also want to see businesses that are high margin, and I think this goes hand in hand with what we can do、mm-hmm. in、um, healthcare. Right in in large-scale population health interventions, now we can begin to do things without a service provider in the middle. And yes, I still think we we're always going to have doctors. We're never going to completely disintermediate a physician. Um, in fact, they're going to be an integral part of this. But in some cases, say managing a chronic disease,、um, it could be hypertension, it could be、um, high cholesterol, it could be di- diabetes, pre-diabetes, or all of the above, right? And a lot of them, the common denominator is is poor, you know, taking poor care of yourself, not eating well, being slightly overweight, smoking, etc. But I do think a lot of things we can do can be automated to the extent where you're utilizing, you're capturing data. In the perfect world, passively captured data, but some things could be entered—you know, food, logging, etc. You want to make that as seamless as possible. Capturing data and nudging people with something that's utilizing AI—it、um, could be chatbot-driven, but helping people at scale. So we're talking tens, hundreds of millions of people to manage their chronic illness without a physician in the loop, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, if things get really bad, you can push to a physician, or an educator, or a nurse. Um, but in in a perfect way, this is sort of what Lark does. If you look at our companies, Lark and and WellDoc, Lark is、um, DPP diabetes prevention program、um, for people that are about to become diabetic or they're recently diagnosed、right. diabetic. WellDoc、um, is much much deeper. It's for people that are that are already taking insulin or they're already medicating、um, and really targeting type two diabetes and then other indications. But both of these do not need service providers, and I think that's kind of interesting because you can really start to get scale.、Um, on a detection, from a detection perspective or, or early diagnosis perspective,、um, I, I do think that the application of AI and deep learning is, is really interesting.、Um, we have companies like Arteris doing image analysis, and they're becoming a, a complete platform for.、Uh, Utilizing AI on MRI images, CT images, X-ray images, but the one I really talk about a lot is called Freenome, and the idea behind Freenome was to detect cancer early, as in stage one or earlier, with an inexpensive blood test.、Mm-hmm. And right now, what we have, the state of the industry is is quite good utilizing a liquid biopsy, and the companies like Foundation Medicine is is,、um, is doing really well. Um, Garden Health is doing really well, but they're able to track later stage tumors that that have that shed their cells into the blood, and and they look for specific markers to be able to track how well treatments are going against these late stage tumors.、Mm-hmm. Um, Freenome took the approach of saying, look, we don't want to go do deep sequencing on blood. We want to look at this a little bit differently. We're going to look for specific markers in blood.、Um, a lot of it, the analysis is around cell free DNA,、uh, and and the idea is to utilize AI with a bunch of different Specific markers, and be able to detect stage one cancer.、Mm-hmm. And right now, they've done a massive study in colorectal cancer, 
where they're highly sensitive and highly specific around detecting stage one colorectal cancer um, or even precancer cells um, with a $300 blood test. So mm. it's, it, it's and, and that's a rough you know idea of how much it will cost, but right. um, that's the idea of where they're going, right? And they think they can do multiple cancers with one blood draw. And so for me, that gets into the basic workflow. I mean, colorectal cancer, the standard of care is you turn 50 as a guy, you got to go have a colonoscopy. The adherence mm -hmm. rate on that is extremely low, right? I mean, it's, you know, maybe 25, 30% of people do that because it's not a very fun procedure. So the idea of getting into the basic workflow, getting your blood drawn and being able to have a, a, a really accurate marker for someone with early stages of cancer is, is a game changer, right? It's, mm -hmm. and it's fundamentally different. And the reason they can do this is because they have a team of 30, 40 data scientists that are utilizing artificial intelligence to be able to train their models, um, optimize their models and, and detect cancer early. So it's, it's fascinating where we can go. Yeah, no, it is. It is. I, I mean, I heard of Freenome and I didn't know uh, the details behind how they do it. And uh, the, the test is pretty interesting. The cost factor is pretty interesting. I think there was an article just a week or two ago that talked about the cost of blood drawing and why, why the economics are the way they are today. I guess it would be also very fascinating. Eventually, you can just do one blood draw and like all these other things, right, can be detected. But it's, I'm sure, so much more complicated than that. Um, so pretty fascinating um, on Freenome. And then Lark, um, I think they started off in a different direction, right? And they pivoted, right? Like three years ago or something like that. Two yeah, I, I, they, yeah your, your memory serves you well. So they their initial, <laughs> we're going back to the wearable days, right? Right. Around early stages of Fitbit. They had a device that helped track um, people's movement. It was a wrist-worn device at mm -hmm. night and they utilized uh, algorithms called actigraphy to be able to, to, to categorize how people slept and right. then they utilize coaches and coaching content to be able to modify their sleep and help them sleep better so i think even though that was this they had a hardware component and um it was specifically targeted to sleep mm -hmm. their underlying idea of capturing data um categorizing what people's actions are and how they're interacting with certain right. and coaching them with tremendous amount of content in a scalable manner is basically the same. So yeah. it is a pivot in area, but the, the core the underlying yeah. premise, yeah, is, is very similar. Absolutely. Uh, we've had other, we've had other companies pivot <laughs> significantly more than that. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. It felt like they kept their core. I remember visiting their office, uh, you know, at some point. And, uh, so it's, it's just fascinating. I guess what, what's really interesting between Lard, Prino and a lot of the other companies, you mentioned scale is, is key, right? So companies that can scale very quickly. So there's no, doesn't benefit society to be the best new light bulb or invention, but not able to kind of reach the masses. And you, you mentioned about, you know, high margins and scale. If you were teaching like a group of like entrepreneurs that all have great businesses, and you're going to do like a, a five to 10 minute lecture for them. What are the like your skips, like top three, like things to make sure that you can do to scale your, to scale your product and business? Like what are, what have you found? What's the difference that makes a difference with scaling? I know these services are all different, but what do you, what do you really want to see or what have you seen that makes a difference? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing that everybody should think about, and I see this repeated over and over again in digital health and healthcare is you need to address a market that's large enough or will grow into something mm -hmm. that's large enough. 
And mm -hmm. I would say almost all venture capitalists want to see a company that can attain a billion dollars in revenue. So it has to at least be a billion dollar total addressable market, right, mm -hmm. as a minimum. And uh, so that is number one. And I, I just and you also want to have something that's protectable, right? It's, right. If you're successful, you need to have some barriers to entry or long term sustainable competitive advantage that others can't easily replicate. So there has to be something and that can sometimes be in business model or network effects or, or other components. But we often like to see it in technology right. for the large market for sure. Now, I do think, you know, you can't go in and always boil the ocean, right? And right. you need to pick a, an entry point that makes sense. And let me give you an example. Arteris uh, is the company I alluded to earlier around artificial intelligence. They started with a very specific application taking MRI images and they would get them up to the cloud do post-processing of it and then get them back into the workflow for a cardiologist to analyze how blood flows through the heart. And they solved a specific problem that cardiologists have, saved them time. But then they realized, you know, the core value proposition was util utilizing the artificial intelligence on the back end. So they're one of the first AI companies. Um, mm -hmm. They have four or five FDA clearances now um, on specific applications. But go back a couple of years ago, they said, you know, one of the, our benefits is that we can actually get our product and service and outcome back into the provider workflow in a seamless manner. So we take the MRI image, immediately capture, straight to the cloud, do the post-processing on a de-identified um, piece of data mm -hmm. image, do the post-processing, send it back into the provider workflow, right into Epic or Cerner, um, re-identified, which is another little trick, mm -hmm. and, and they can use it. And they've mm. got the billing all figured out, right? So it's getting into the workflow is a very challenging piece for for any of these groups right i mean mm -hmm. a physician is not going to utilize a product unless it's easy to use they have enough difficulty entering data into epic anyway so that is the core value project so they've over time they've added um multiple uh features for cardiology but now they're able to do analyze images for liver cancer for lung cancer they do segmentation contouring it just helps radiologists it helps cardiologists, it helps oncologists do their job better. But the key mm -hmm. is they can get into the workflow, they become a platform. So they started with one application, now they've scaled to something that is in hundreds of hospitals around the country, um, really knocking it out of the park. And it's and it's to be able to go after them now is going to be really difficult because they've got the whole platform figured out, right? right? They didn't start that way though, it took many, many years to get there and many a lot of engineering time to get that whole workflow figured out. Um, and all the features and viewers that the, that the healthcare professionals want, but they're there now. And so right. it's just, a, it's, it's the way you grow a company. And so you need to, I think, have a big vision, but take a, a, a you know, solve an, a smaller problem first and then grow over time. And that is really aligned with the way you raise money too, right? You start with a seed, a little proof of concept, you do your series A, you really round that out, maybe go to another, um, another indication, another area, another vertical. And then you become much broader, and then you start to raise larger rounds of money. You, you know what's what's interesting, Skip, is 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 um, you know on the defensibility part for like AI, machine learning, and AI. I mean, you know, all the Fang stocks or the Fang guys or the top tech companies minus Netflix have these open source platforms now with data science, right? And so leveraging that, it doesn't make sense for a lot of these new companies to build their own AI stacks in house. Um, and to leverage those, but it sounds like just playing back this company example you were just mentioning, it sounds like it's it's you have to have effective, um, if you're gonna have a data component or what you're doing, a data science component, it doesn't really matter so much if you're rolling your own or not, but 
solving the problem in embedding yourself into the workflow flow showing outcomes that that's the difference that makes a difference in improving that workflow then working yourself to become a fixture or a platform in that system in that organization feels like it's key am i playing that back right the way you see it or yeah i i, I think that's very accurate um i mean there are a lot of companies out there that can get um a lot of images just mm -hmm. taking just thinking with that that uh, use case, a lot of images and do AI on it mm -hmm. and, and match to outcomes. That's, there are a lot of, you know, I think in AI on images, there's probably, you know, 20, 30 companies that are venture back that are doing that now. Mm -hmm. So the, the tricky part is getting, you know, actually having a product or service that someone uses. And, and so you have to do the blocking and tackling on the back end. Now I will say sometimes data sets that are matched to outcomes um, are not easy to find. Right. And I'll give you an example. Free, you know, go back, going back to Freenome. Right. How many labs actually have tracked, have, have captured blood, held it for 10 years, which is about how long they can keep it, and matched it to outcomes that identify someone that has pancreatic cancer? Mm. So you need to have the blood sample drawn before the cancer was identified, um, and then actually match that health record of someone who ends up getting pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. three, four, five, six, seven years later, then you can do the analysis of that and develop your algorithm. Mm -hmm. So not so easy to do, right? And yeah. so sometimes the data sets are actually relatively um, important, uh, especially in an early stage cancer diagnostic because you just don't know, or maybe even you know, taking a similar thought process around you know, cardiology. Maybe there's a specific marker that we're looking for in the blood or elsewhere that can identify a heart attack, but you have to actually capture that data up front, then figure out the causality that drives that specific biomarker to be an indicator of, you know, someone having a heart attack or stroke or whatever. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Absolutely. Need, absolutely. That goes back to my initial point where you absolutely need the EMR PACS data for the images and tying that back into real world data or right. genomic data without matching that together. You don't have anything. So sometimes right. the data set's quite important. Right. Right. Skip, this is great. Well, a couple things I, I, I want to be sensitive to your time too. You've been very generous with it. Um, I do have um, uh, one more question for you, um, Skip. I guess before I ask my last question, what is a good way for our listeners to get a hold of you or interact with you on social media if uh, if you would like people to do so? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty open. In fact, even on our website, my email address is out there: skip at assetman.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Skip Fleshman, pretty simple. S K I P F L E S H M A N. Um, those are probably the two best ways. I'm on LinkedIn as well. A lot of people, I would say, uh, just about every day, someone reaches out with a business idea from LinkedIn. Um, mm -hmm. Probably once a week via Twitter. You know, someone's contacting me. So nice. any, any of the above. Yeah, emails. Most venture capitalists still operate on email. Yeah, we're nice. Kind of ancient, but, but yeah. Nice, Skip. Well, well. Um, so, a couple of things. Thanks for sharing your your origin story with us. Um, thank you for sharing the macro view of, of you know how VC relates to healthcare and to to the space and a lot of the, the portfolio companies. That it was great to to talk with you about. You know, some of these phenomena that's happening out in healthcare. More on a micro level is I'm, I'm curious on on a micro level. What's something you do on a personal basis to keep the engines going, to stay resilient, to stay healthy? Uh, you still play soccer games out there? Do you uh, do you still fly a lot, or just what? What's something on a well-being basis, routine-wise, you love to do to keep things going? Well, well, the things that's probably not on a well-being would be my uh, my wine cellar, which mm. I need to walk out to all the time. Um, mm. But yeah, act actively, I, I I try to work out every day. I still you can find me on the soccer pitch periodically or chasing mm -hmm. kids around um 
while or driving kids around while they're going to soccer games. Um, and yeah, I occasionally do fly. Our founding partner has a Gulfstream 200, and nice. uh, I think I have a flight scheduled for next week going to LA or San Diego for a day trip. So that's nice. something that is uh, I've done, you know, my entire life. So I still I still do uh, fly periodically. Nice, nice. No, it's good. That's great, great to hear. And uh, you know, definitely. Um, you know, both, both activities are just, you know, phenomenal. I like the wine cellar idea as well, too. <laughs> I, I, I aspire uh, to get there one day, but, uh, um, Skip, this has been great having you on the show. Uh, I will definitely, um, you know, link to your contact information in the, uh, the show notes and love to have you back as you work on different new theses in healthcare, you know, bet on these um, spaces with your dollars, of course. Um, so this was phenomenal having you on the show. And uh, to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show and the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. Skip, again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us. Thanks, Anthony. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye.